now I now I know it's not an Easter like usual, uh, but I know as as many pastors and many churches are saying right now that even though the church buildings are empty, so is the grave, and it's because the grave is empty. Jesus's grave is empty that the church even exists, because we are the church. That's anyone who's chosen to make Jesus their saviour and their king. They are part of the true church. And the true church is never empty. It's just temporarily relocated. And so I hope that you are experiencing the, the love and the fellowship of your loved ones over this Easter. Whether it's in person or on the phone or on a video chat. Easter, of course, is a great time for us to be with our family. And Easter is a great time for us to eat food. Lots of food. Yes, it's the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That always has to be first, 100%. But it's also food. Plates and tables of food. And especially those, those well-known uh, meals and flavours that get brought out each Easter and just remind you of home. Of mum's cooking or dad's cooking or grandma's cooking. Now, we've all heard about grandma's secret recipe, right? It's that certain thing that makes a pie or a cake or a soup unique and special. It's that special ingredient that just seems, seems to tie everything well together. And without that uh, special ingredient, the pie or the cake or the soup is just pie or cake or soup. But once that thing once that special ingredient is added, then that's when the magic happens. And the whole idea of grandma's secret recipe is that it's a secret that no one really knows what it is. Or if you do know, it's because you've been welcomed into the circle of trust. You've, you've arrived. Well, here are some examples of secret recipes or surprising ingredients that don't sound like they work, but they actually do. Thank you, Chatelaine Magazine. Okay, so chocolate muffins with zucchini, raspberry glazed pound cake with avocado, chocolate cake with, with black beans, homemade ice cream with brown bread, and sweet pumpkin bread with ale. Now, on Friday, we looked at uh, Jesus's um, about how Jesus was, uh, the, was the vaccine for the virus of sin. And this morning, we will be looking at how God's, or about what is God's recipe for a, a life well lived or a life um, fully lived. So I'd ask you, you to turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. 1 Timothy 3, 16. And as you're turning there, I will pray. Lord, we need you to, to breathe life into these words that we would hear your voice and your heart and that you would transform us and that you would remind us. In Jesus' name, amen. First Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says this. It says, beyond all question, the, the mystery from which True godliness springs is great. Okay, number one, he appeared in the flesh. Number two, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, and was taken up into glory. Now, I hope it doesn't surprise you to learn that 
living that fully living life or living a fully lived life has a secret ingredient. Paul writing in this in this letter, First Timothy, calls it the mystery from which true godliness springs, or of or the secrets of a life of worship. And in this case, there are six ingredients. And these six ingredients make make the difference between sort of um, flopping through life in a vaguely spiritual way, at which many of us are very good at doing, and having, you know, the confidence to live a full and a God-glorifying life. And this secret recipe actually is not a secret recipe, because here it is for all of us to see, every single one of us. And what this shows us, that this secret recipe is not really a secret, is that God is that a God-glorifying, full life of worship is not just for the spiritual, spiritually special people, you know, you know, or, or the famous people, or the people who've learned Greek or Hebrew. It's not just for them. It's for everyone. It's for you, and it's for me. Now, as you look at First Timothy three sixteen. You might think that it kind of looks like a list of ingredients, right? So you first add, he appeared in the flesh, and then you add in a, you know, you add in a pinch of spirit vindication, and then you throw in, you know, a handful of seen by angels, so on and so on. And the reason why it looks so much like a list of ingredients is because it is a list. What we see here is an early Christian creed or a super early hymn. And when you think that 1 Timothy was written by Paul just 30 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus, it's amazing, you know, to think that, that these super basic truths of what a life in Christ looks like had, just in 30 years, they'd really boiled it down into these six points and had made it him so that folks could learn it and memorize it and share it with each other in letters like this. So let's look super briefly at each, each element, each not-so-secret secret ingredient to a life which is fully lived. Now for each of the ingredients, we will look at A, what it meant originally, and B, what it means to you and me. And so you might want to grab a piece of paper and a pen so that you can keep notes as we move quite swiftly through this. So the first ingredient... And I hope you, you, you can see this. Actually, I'll, I'll try to keep it over here because I know Wendy's going to come back at the end. Um, okay, so here's my mixing bowl. And the first ingredient is he appeared in the flesh. Okay, he appeared in the flesh. Let's put that in there. He appeared in the flesh. Now, what does he appeared in the flesh mean? Well, it means simply this, that God's presence is with us. Okay, what that means is, is, is really this, that Jesus came as a human. That, you know, we know that, that Jesus was God forever and ever and ever. And then in John chapter 1 verse 14, we are told that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Now we are actually talking, or we're working through John chapter one, uh, John chapter one in our COVID nineteen Zoom Bible study on Thursday at one p.m. So it's a this is a great opportunity for you to join in with us. It's such a wonderful time. Okay, so that's what 
he appeared in the flesh means. But what does he, he appeared in the flesh mean for me and for you? Well, like, like we know, Easter is that moment where we think about, you know, the death and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, why it matters that Jesus came in the flesh is, is that this is the only way that God was able to bridge the gap between his holy self and sinful us as he became one of us. But he did it absolutely perfectly. He never sinned. And in that state of absolute perfection, he paid our debt so that we can be called holy and righteous in God's sight. This is what God's presence with us means. But, you know, there's another thing because th that was then. But, but even now, if you're in Christ, God's presence is still with you. Through the Holy Spirit who lives in those who place their trust in, in God, Jesus' presence is, is, is shed abroad in our hearts and through us into the world. So the first ingredient is, is God's presence with us. Now the second ingredient, and uh, we will mix it in now, is God's powerful resurrection. Here we go. Mixing in God's powerful resurrection to God's presence with us. And in this verse, it said, it said like this, he was, he was vindicated by the Spirit. Well, what does was vindicated by the Spirit mean? This, this, this word vindication means to prove someone right. So if you and I are maybe having a fight and, you know, you know and I'm saying that you're wrong and you're saying that you're right, and then someone else comes along, someone who's a real authority, you know, who we all trust. And they say that you were right all along. That means that you were vindicated, that you have the right, in a sense, to rub it in my face. So when was Jesus vindicated by the Spirit? And the answer is this, when he rose again from the grave. Romans, Romans 1 verse 4 says this, And he was shown to be the Son of God when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. This was the moment when he proved that he was right, that he is actually God, that he really does have the power to, to cleanse us of our sins, you know, and to give us a, a brand new life, that, that, that he is worthy of our worship, and that, that he is supremely powerful even over death. So what does was vindicated by the Spirit mean to me? So what? Well, my friend, all that this verse means for you, all this phrase means for you, is that in Jesus, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, actually and incredibly and wonderfully is working in your life if you are in him. And this is a power that you can have access to and you can make use of. Not a big deal, right? We um, read in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 18, it says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength, okay? Just 
wrestle with that. Just let that sink in. That power is the same as the mighty strength that he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, and so on. So being vindicated by the Spirit in that resurrection power was massively massively important for Jesus and it's massively vital for you too. That's ingredient number two. Now let's mix in ingredient number three, which is God's, which, which is this phrase was seen by angels. Got a little bit of a, just a tiny little bit of yolk spill. It's not like the, uh, you know, the juice spill that happened at Good Friday. This is a lot less, but we don't want that getting stinky. Do we? Anyway, so there. Yeah, that's ingredient number three, was seen by angels. And what this is referring to is God's, God's personal army. You know, and so the difference between you living a, a kind of so-so life and you living this life which is full is knowing that you have access to God's personal army. Now, what did was seen by angels mean? Well, all through Jesus' life, it means that that his, his movements were tracked by, by, by these angels. These servants of God and these, uh, and, these, and these messengers of God were there when he was a baby. They were there when he was undergoing temptation. They were there in the Garden of Gethsemane. They were there at the cross. These angels were the witnesses of what went on in Jesus' life. And Luke chapter 22 verse 43 tells us that, that they were really involved at super critical moments in Jesus' life. They, they were God's personal army. So what does God's, what does God's personal army, what does, was seen by angels mean for me and for you? Well, you know, in the same way that the angels appeared and ministered to Jesus, so God still has angels, his personal army, working out his purposes here on earth. Now, these aren't like little naked baby with, with, uh, with wings and with fat cheeks. That's, that's not what I'm talking about. These are the messengers and the warriors, and they move among us. Hebrews chapter 13 says this. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers for by doing so some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it hebrews chapter 13 verse 2 and then hebrews chapter 1 verse 4 verse 14 tells us that these angels are still serving us it says are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation so this phrase was seen by angels reminds us that this realm of the supernatural, both the bad and the good, is very much real and that God has sent his, his personal army to move alongside us and to work with us for his, for his purposes as we serve him. It's amazing, right? That's ingredient number three. Now ingredient number four, let's mix this one in. As you can see, I'm a consummate expert here. So we're mixing in, in ingredient number four. And what ingredient number four is, 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 is God 
God's proclaimed truth. First Timothy 3.16 says this, was, was preached among the nations. Now, what did was preached among the nations mean? Well, a few moments ago, uh, you know, I told you that, that this letter was written by Paul about 30 years after Jesus' death. Well, at that moment, so, so just 30 years after Jesus died, that this news of Jesus was, was being spoken and shared and, and lived out from one person to another, from one small, small group to another, from one church to another, from one community to another. And so the message of God's presence with us and of God's powerful resurrection was being spoken by ordinary people like you and me, aided by God's personal army. And what is the gospel? Well, we learned it on, on, uh, on Friday, right? It's the gospel that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. 1 Timothy 1 verse 15. Okay, so that's what it meant then, but what does was preached among the nations mean to you and me now? Well, friends, you know, the basic means of the spread of the gospel has not changed in over 2,000 years. It's still going from house to house and from person to person and from group to group. And so if, if you are a follower of Jesus this morning, you are the proof that this method is working. You know, the Lord told Simon Peter in Matthew 16, 18, that on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Friends, the, you know, the movement of the gospel and the spread of the gospel is not stoppable. It's moving from country to country and from nation to nation as God's truth is shared by faithful believers, many times in, in hard locations and in restrictive areas through, through folks like like the McCullers over in Cambodia or by Thomas Genioli in the children's hospitals or, or Sarah Davis in, in Montreal, that, that God is using these folks, folks like you and me, to share his truth. That's ingredient number four to a life which is fully lived. Now ingredient number five to a life fully lived is knowing that you are part of God's planet-wide family. I don't know how much milk to add, but I'll just throw it all in. So number five is knowing that, that you are part of God's planet-wide family. And what we read in the text, it says this, was, was believed on in the world. So what does was believed on in the world mean? What did it mean then? Well, as Jesus is preached among the nations, he is actually believed on in the world, right? So number five follows on from number four. You know, I, I uh, served on a missionary ship for six years and I saw this in real life and it's incredible. Romans chapter one, verse 13 shows us this link between God's truth being proclaimed and the creation of God's planet-wide family. Romans 1.13 says this, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will, will be saved. It's a promise, that. And yet, number 14, verse 14, how then can they call on the one that they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the, in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. So that's what 
was believed on in the world meant then, what does it mean for you and for me? Well, friends, if, if you believe in Jesus Christ, then your mandate is absolutely clear. It's to make new members of God's planet-wide family. You are, you are either to be making disciples yourself or making it your duty and your responsibility to release others by either praying with them or financially partnering with them. You know, you know which is why as a church, um, we are working with Power to Change and with, uh, with other organisations. You know, it's, it's why we run Friends for Dinner, so that the gospel hope of Jesus who died and rose again might be believed on in the world. Jesus' last words in Matthew were this. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I, I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Friends, you can't miss this, okay? It's so important. Knowing that God's presence is with us through God's powerful resurrection of Jesus releases us to, to proclaim God's truth and to grow God's family planet-wide, aided by God's personal army starting in our neighbourhood. And so that's five ingredients to a life which is, which is fully lived. And the final ingredient in God's recipe for true godliness, for true worship, for a life which is fully lived, is ingredient number six. And I won't pour all of this in. Just a little bit of a dab. Ingredient number six. And ingredient number six is this. Was taken up in glory. Was taken up in glory. So what does was taken up in glory mean? Well, simply this, that Jesus completed his purpose here on earth. And once that happened, he went back up to be with the Father. He was, he was taken up into glory. Acts chapter 1 verse 9 tells us, after, after he said this, he was taken up in front of their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. And this was the last time that Jesus' disciples saw him here, here on earth. So that's what it meant then. But what does it mean to you and me now? Well, yeah, the key to knowing what, what it means to us, what, what being taken up to glory means, means for us, is not found in Acts chapter 1 verse 9 that I just read, but it's in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, which says this, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and, and to the ends of the earth. Friends, when, 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 when Jesus went back to be with God, he sent, he sent the Holy Spirit so that we could be empowered and, and we could be transformed and we could be sanctified for his work so that we would be his witnesses. And so Jesus being taken up into the glory is the very thing that, that, that empowers us. He is now at the right hand of God that serves as the center of operations as the truth is proclaimed and God's family grows over the whole planet. It's this war room and, and it's from this place at the right hand of God that Jesus prays for us, that he sends his angels to work with us, that he empowers us through the Holy Spirit and that he calls people to serve him all over the world. 
So as we can see, Jesus being taken up in glory is an essential ingredient. This is what ties all of the other ingredients in, right? Now, I don't know how observant you are, but these six ingredients are a little bit out of order, right? Number one was um, he appeared in the flesh. Number two was vindicated by, by the spirit. Okay, that, that's the resurrection. That, you know, that, that makes sense. N number three was, was seen by angels. That m makes sense as well. But if, if this was a strict order of Jesus' life, then surely the next step would be for him to be taken up into glory. Right? First, first Jesus goes to the glory and then the gospel is preached among the nations. Right? But that's not the order that we see here. Jesus being taken up into glory is the last thing mentioned in this list of six. So why did the early church have this hymn out of order? Why are the ingredients not, 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 not consecutive like they should be? Well, I don't know. But I think maybe it's, it's because these ingredients only make sense in the order they're written as we apply them to our lives. Okay, I think that maybe these ingredients are in the, in the order that they are because they only make sense in this order as we, as we apply them to our lives. So here's the order again, but with an application for you and for me, and let's see if it makes sense now. Okay, so number one, Jesus appeared in the flesh. Okay, so God's presence is made available to us in Jesus through salvation. Number two, he was vindicated by the Spirit in resurrection power. And, uh, and as we trust in Jesus, his Spirit raises us to life in resurrection power, as Romans chapter 8 verse 11 tells us. Number three, he was, he was, he, he was seen by angels. Now, once we are saved and once we are empowered, God's holy angels start coming alongside us and working with us and for us. Number four, he was preached among the nations. As saved and empowered followers of Jesus, aided by God's personal army, we now have a mandate, and our mandate is a message. Number five, was believed on in the world. As, as you and I are faithful to our calling to speak God's truth, God will bring about his fruit. He is growing his planet-wide family. And only after these five ingredients have been added into our life, God's presence with us, God's powerful resurrection, God's personal army, God's, God's, God's truth proclaimed, God's, God's planet-wide family, only after we've had those five things can we add in the last ingredient, which is the promise of glory. You know, God's longing is that everyone would know this mystery from which true godliness springs. That, that we would know this joy of mixing together God's recipe for a life which is fully lived. That, that, uh, that, that, that we would all know these six ingredients that stir the heart, that, uh, that uh, fuse together in faith, and that are allowed to rise into maturity in the life of the believer. Then the result is lives that are transformed, homes that are transformed, and communities that are transformed, all from these six ingredients. Without grandma's secret ingredient, a pie is just a pie. And without these six essential ingredients, a life is just a life. But when we live these six truths out, that's when the magic happens. And once we learnt 
the recipe for, for ourselves. God wants us to share it with as many people as we can. Here's one that Stacy made earlier. That we would share with them this life that we have in Jesus so that they can, for themselves, taste and see that the Lord is good. You know, the hope of the world this Easter, like it always has been and always will be, is the same um, is, is the same that it's been for 2,000 years. Ordinary lives transfixed and engaged and transformed by this great mystery from which true godliness springs. This recipe for a life which is fully lived. Number one, he appeared in the flesh. Number two, he was vindicated by the Spirit. Number three, he was seen by angels. Number four, was preached among the nations. Number five, was believed on in the world. And number six, was taken up in glory. Amen.